Now on the Business Radio X Network, Conscious Capitalism, elevating humanity through business in Southern Arizona. Your hosts, Sarah McLaren and Jeremy Neese. Southern Arizona does good business, and we want to talk about it. Welcome to the Conscious Capitalism podcast, elevating humanity through business in Southern Arizona. Conscious Capitalism is an international movement promoting business as a force for good. The Conscious Capitalism movement has 50 plus chapters in the United States, including Arizona with lots of activity down here in the southern part of the state. On this show, we want to shine a light on real world examples of good business happening right in our own backyards. We invite leaders in our community to share their stories and experiences, to tell us about their personal journey through the world of business, to let us know what makes their organization great and how they go about bringing value to Southern Arizona. To find out more about Conscious Capitalism, we encourage you to go to ConsciousCapitalismAZ.com and uh, get plugged in with some information. So let's get into some good business conversations right now and introduce you to the voices that will be on our show today. For myself, I am Jeremy Neese. My area of interest is in business operations that are sustainable, responsible, and have impact. So as an investment advisor with Retirement Evolutions, who I thank for their support of this show, uh, I help people align their dollars with the organizations that reflect sustainability, responsibility, and impact. And then obviously, as a, a proud member of the Conscious Capitalism team, help people learn and get connected to the great information that lives here. And my name is Sarah McCarran. I'm with McCarran Compliance, where we provide safety training and consulting services, primarily serving the construction and mining industries. And we are a purpose-based company, and our purpose is creating communities where we all watch out for each other. So our guest today, we have Chris Heelan, Vice President of Lovett and Touche, a Marsh and McClellan agency company. Chris, um, we met for the very first time at the very first Conscious Capitalism event in Southern Arizona, and you know you've really been you know a strong supporter of us um, and and in me personally and how and my efforts to try and grow the movement ever since. So I just wanted to acknowledge that and thank you you know a oh, lot for so for being here. And our other guest is Brandy Ferrer, and she is the visionary president and CEO of Pathfinder Strategies, a consulting company that helps clients create and sustain workplace cultures where people enjoy their work and can perform to their best. Uh, I think we're going to hear a lot more about culture. Um, you know, Brandy and Chris both have a lot of alignment and shared belief in the power of, of culture and creating healthy workplaces. So we're going to hear a lot more about that, but I wanted to start off by thanking you for being here as well, Brandy. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think a logical place to start is to let our listeners get a little bit insight to who you both are and a little bit about your story. We'll get into your organizations and all that good stuff, but uh, Brandy, you want to go and <laughs> just share a little bit about your journey, how you landed in your current uh, spot in life? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so when I started, and I'm going to my personal and my professional kind of go hand in hand together. So when I started in my my very first corporate gig, um, I ended up working for a company that was phenomenal. And as my very for, first job, I didn't really realize it at the time, right? So this company was, they were young, they were progressive, they were um, really focused on their, their values and their vision. Um, none of which was posted on the walls, by the way, um, but the way that they hired people, the investments that they made in technology, how we all worked together as a team. So I really had a great experience there. I flourished there, um, grew in my career, and I was like, I am, I am going to be here until I retire. Well, this happened to be a mortgage lending company. And we all know what happened in 2007, 2008. So I found myself um, without, a, without a job and trying to kind of pick up the pieces and say, okay, well, what am I going to do now? Um, I had a, a great skill set from my work in acquisitions, my work in product development. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how to leverage that. And it, I ended up working for a public school system, um, building career ladders and the programs that support those. And it was a complete culture shock for me. So instead of um, 
going into work and being really excited and jumping out of bed like, woo, I can't wait. <laughs> it was such a feeling of dread going to the office every day. And it wasn't just me. Um, this was kind of a, a shared feeling. In fact, one of the things that people said a lot was, I only have 1,897 oh, days no. until retirement. And that was the culture. So we weren't collaborating with one another. Um, we didn't have a lot of transparency, very low trust environment. It was very hard to function in that kind of a space. And so not surprisingly, I wasn't super happy. And I spent the next several years in my career trying to find this thing again, trying to find this, this environment where I could thrive. And I just kept missing the mark. And finally, um, after a lot of convincing from my mentor, she said, you know, you need to go into consulting. I'm like, consulting on what? And then I had this aha moment. What was it that that first company had that none of these subsequent companies have? And it was a healthy, productive culture. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to help companies create and sustain those types of workplaces. Perfect. Yeah. Wow, that's a good story, and lots more to dig in on that, I'm sure, as we move forward here. Chris, how about you? So um, if you talk to my family, they will tell you I have always been in sales. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I really enjoy working with people. I enjoy the thrill of the chase, so to speak. And my first foray into that, I was very, very fortunate. I was in Mary Kay. So early in my 20s, and then we moved to Dallas, which was kind of the mecca, and I was exposed to a, just a great culture, taking care of one another, helping whether it was your area or not, whether they were really your recruit or not, um, much of that go-give kind of mentality. And um, I was there probably eight or nine years, um, became a director, and then um, ended up because of a series of just personal things, went through a divorce, came back to Tucson, entered the regular marketplace. Um, and I had the same experience that Brandy did. The f couple of cultures that I was a part of, it was like, thank God I got hired away. And um, so eventually I um, made a presentation to Steve Touche in my other job, and three weeks later had a job offer. Completely changing industries to go into the insurance arena. Um, it was a great opportunity, and they have such a great culture. I knew that I'd kind of found where I wanted to be. Good for you. So, Brandy, you gave us a little bit of uh, insight on, on how you got uh, to the point of wanting to start Pathfinder Strategies. Can you pick it up from there? You know, tell us more about Pathfinder Strategies and and uh, how it's evolved since, you know, I guess, where you left off. Absolutely. So when we first started, we were um, doing a lot more around training and development work. And as we've grown and evolved, we're doing sort of a combination of training and consulting, and we're pulling in a lot of different pieces. So we've identified five key drivers of a, of a healthy, productive, we call it a high five culture. Like work, it. Work, workplaces where people want to come to work, they like what they do, and they can perform at their best and meet business objectives, of course. So those five drivers are first vision and values and everything needs to align with that. Um, the second piece of that is who are you hiring? What does your workforce look like? Do they align with your vision and values? The third component is uh, the employee experience, and I'm sure Chris will, will talk a lot more about this, but this is these are things like, are you paying people competitively? What does your onboarding process look like? What does your benefits package look like? The fourth piece of this is um, team alignment. So you've got all these talented individuals. How are you organizing them into teams? What does that look like? Do they have the opportunity to leverage each other's strengths? Is there healthy conflict? And then the final driver is leadership piece. That's really what underpins all of these other pieces. Without leadership support, without the leaders getting the development that they need, it's very difficult to sustain any kind of meaningful cultural change. And... and um I think you know recently, or in the in the fairly recent future, you guys have been awarded several times. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the accolades that you've received recently? 
Yeah, so we won not too long ago, well, it was a couple years ago, we won the Leadership 500 Awards for small companies, and that was based on our, our model. Um, so that was really, really exciting stuff. And then currently, we are being considered for the um, Celebrating Innovation in the Workplace Award through the Society of Human Resources Management, again, for the High Five Culture model. Um, you had mentioned uh, you had your aha moment. And uh, you landed at your five high fivers. Yeah. Was that part of the aha? You knew because you had this contrast of this was this great culture that I started in. And then I saw these series of negative cultures that just percolated up onto the screen. You're like, these are the five or has that been sort of revisionistic over time? It's been revised over time. So one of the things when I when I sort of evolved into this work, the word culture is very big. It's very conceptual and it's somewhat ambiguous. Yes. And I I had a hard time wrapping my arms around it. And when I would talk to people about it, I could just see like glazed over faces. So I wanted to better define what culture meant. So culture means what are the acceptable behaviors in an organization? Period. Good, bad, and otherwise, right? Okay, fine. What are the what are the major pieces that go into shaping a culture? And I wanted to do that for clarity for myself, but also when when working with other people, so that it didn't seem like a big scary thing. Oh, we have to make a culture thing. It's going to be so time consuming. It's going to be so expensive. No, let's pick a place. Let's pick the most important driver for you, and let's start with that. Makes sense. Thank you. So, Chris, with uh, Love It and Touche, so you're, you have been there close to 30 years. So that, uh, I mean, again, you left us off with the job offer. And uh, the continuation from there is that 30 years later, you're, you're still with the company. So why? I mean, what, what uh, allows you or, or, want, or makes you want to be with a company and part of an organization for that long? I would just have to say that um, it's a very innovative and collaborating um, culture. We serve our clients with teams. Each team member has their own responsibility. Literally, it's, it's a whole series of, of different aspects that a client needs to have good representation from a broker, from a consultant for employee benefits. And um, the culture is so strong in that component that if there are new employees that might have a finger pointing, maybe they've come from a blaming culture, and their first reaction on why something didn't happen correctly would be to point their finger, or they're, um, they're reminded gently on that what our culture truly is, and it's an accountability culture, and everybody does what's good for the client. All our decisions are made on what's good, and if you need help, you should be asking for it. Um, so they either change or they're not there any longer than that. And what I've really enjoyed is, as a salesperson, one of the greatest fears is you go out and you talk about, what's this great thing that I have? And then when it's actually delivered by someone who isn't me, um, what will happen? And you know who we are as a company, who I am as a person is really linked to that outcome. And, and can the so, team deliver on what the front line is right. conveying as this is what we bring to market? So there's a lot of connectivity between my role and um, the team. We have a uh, little over 200 employees and between Tucson and Phoenix. So we're talking about several different teams to serve our clients. And you've recently been part of an, an M&A process, and I think that's interesting. Can you share how your culture has sort of held its head way, way above water through all that? And yeah, so the 1st almost. of April, we were um, acquired by um, Marsh McLennan Agencies, which is a part of Big Marsh, who is the largest insurance consulting firm in the world. So, um, of course, all of us were like, what does that even mean, <laughs> right? Because it gets announced long after the transaction has already happened. And so um, what it really meant for us is that MMA is a collection of best-in-class agencies just like ours. So instead of being absorbed into a great big culture, we got in absorbed as an um, entity into, like it's, it sounds corny, but a little bit like a family. All of us think alike. We all have that customer service drive. We all have that entrepreneurial thought process, um, that desire to make things the best experience um, that we can for our clients and um, for our teammates. It's really unusual and remarkable. That's fantastic. 
Brandy, have you stewarded any organizations through M&A activity? They always call me on the back end. I see. So the damage is done. Come <laughs> they clean always, up. They, they always call me and say, <laughs> like on the front end, oh, we're good, we're good, we're good. On the back end, oh, we're not so good. <laughs> Maybe there's a few details yeah. we overlooked. So we, we do have a, a handful of clients that are on the back side of that. And um, the ink is dried. And they're like, okay, how do we how do we make it work now? How do we merge these two cultures together? How do we show people that we value them and that together we're moving forward? And it's a it's a tough process. Um, a lot of times the answers are I don't know from leadership. Um, but yes, we do help in that regard. We just finished a project with a client, and that was exactly why they called us. They had gone through three different. Um, acquisitions in, gosh, like five years. Yeah. And as you can imagine, the, the people within the company were suffering from change fatigue. And they just needed, they just needed some guidance. And, and really where this was manifesting was they were having retention issues at the middle, middle management level. And so we went in and we helped create a competency model for growth. Um, we created a, a six-month training program for them. And then we also did some consulting work around their, their values and their why. So our suggestion to them around being more transparent, what, because they had values already established, was every time you make a change, it needs to be tied to your values in some way. And that needs to be completely transparent. And you also need to answer the question, why, every time a change is made. And it's incredible. Those two things are so simple, but they're so effective. And you, we could almost hear, we visited these offices several different times, and you could almost hear the collective sigh of, okay, we get it now. We understand why these changes are happening, however big or small. I would just also say that as the employee benefits consultant, we're behind her as mm -hmm. far as um, when we find out or when we're brought in. or um, And if we had a platform to really help employers understand, every change in, that Brandy was referring to includes every change you make to your employee benefit platform and your program and what you've put together. It's the loudest voice in your, from my opinion, my experience, a lot is voice in your culture, and it's the one you don't know is there, and so it's often overlooked and neglected. That makes good sense. Yeah. Well, and you know, I know that's a, a big part of um, how you serve your clients is to help them, you know, look at the long-term strategy of their Correct. of their benefit programs, and and you you know, you say that it's the loudest voice that you don't hear, and you know, until there's a change. So, you know, people, you know, may take their benefits for, for granted or may not really even fully understand the, you know, what benefits they have, but as soon as you change them, you got big problems. Right. Yeah. I would just say that the one thing that, um, if there is one area overlooked, it's teaching employees correctly how to access, how to use the actual, it's like handing them a bicycle for the first time and going, good luck. Um, you're going to fall down, you're going to get hurt, and you'd be surprised how many people, once they find out that what I do for a living, it's a little bit like if you're sitting next to someone on a plane and they just start talking, they won't tell me about their great benefit plan. If they're going to talk industry-related, they're going to say, I had this really horrible employer once, and I'll listen, and um, I'll, in the back of my mind I'll know, you know, if that employer had just communicated how prescription um, how they work and what step, step approach is, that employee would still be with that company. But because he didn't understand how it worked, it felt like a gigantic takeaway. And I'd say the next layer of impact is that the employee didn't receive the benefits. And when you think about the, um, you know, what that means for them as an individual human being, potentially to their family, to their, mm -hmm. you know, their 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 physical health, their their mental health. You know, uh, they, they don't know about the benefits, and so they don't, you know, appreciate that they're they're available to them. But the bigger problem is that they didn't get they didn't actually get the benefit. And how has that impacted their lives and their families, even to the point of having to make a, you know, a job change where, you know, maybe you didn't need that, um, you didn't need to go through that, you know, right. change or, you know, drama. So to Brandy's point, um, mission, vision, tying everything to that. I had an opportunity a long time ago, 
to talk to Zappos. Just like be never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so excited. I guess this was almost 10 years ago. I was so excited to be able to talk to a culture centric company. What does your employee benefit program look like? And they had just a very simple mission. I don't know if I would have left it this simple, but it was very profound. Um, we don't ever want our employees to worry about their health and their health care. So they carry a very, very rich program. Um, and they do it for a specific reason. When they make decisions, they're benchmarking it up against, does this keep our employees um, worry-free when it comes to how we're putting together their, their benefit program? And um, it's an aha moment for um, a lot of executive teams because they that's just not a common thought in the industry, and it should be. Absolutely. Right, instead they're like, um, you know, okay, so we have to have, uh, we okay, so let's look at our benefits programs. Okay, we need to have this, we need to have this. Okay, we've got it, you know, move we're on. We're mad because the cost is a lot. Yeah, we're mad because the cost is a lot. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're missing the point. You know, the, the, the whole point of the benefits is, you know, the positive impact that it has on your employees, which is extremely important, but it also comes right back to you as you know to the company and to the health of the company and success of the company and growth of the company as well. well and everything has a cost where well, it might not necessarily have a dollar sign that is on your check but there's a cost in productivity and there's a cost I mean you said um, worry free mm -hmm. I mean, to the to your very point when you're on the airplane and people don't know that they had all these exceptional things in front of them and it just wasn't because they didn't out know well how to enough. use it correct so they're Employers who take that approach, they're not maximizing the value of the spend, of what they're spending. For, that yeah. for that benefit suite. And I'll, to Brandy, we had a conversation earlier about how you're working with a company and helping them um, put a structure in place to keep people there so their attrition was less than whatever it was at the point. Um, I don't think that you could find an employee in an exit interview that say, I'm leaving because of your benefits. But I can tell you if they're already unhappy, mm -hmm. it, what it adds to is the perception that you don't care. Right. You know, throw me a benefits booklet, tell me good luck. Yeah. Um, instead of maybe going the extra mile and giving some, um, let, have your broker come in, have them teach about HSAs, health spending accounts, help them, have them teach about how do I use that? How do, you know, what does it mean if you're for um, drug co-pays? Why are there four tiers? How does this work? If you give them the education, just like any other education that Brandy is going to bring in, it helps them appreciate where they um, work. These people care about me. They're helping me understand. And the brokers are like dying to get in there. I mean, you know, it's it's not even like, uh, you know, it's it, it's in their, you know, best interest. And also because they, you know, like if you work at Love It and Touche, you care about your customers and you want your people to use the benefits. And the more they use the benefits and are happy and are contributing, the more likely they're going to, you know, come back to you. They're going to appreciate the service. And so, you know, it's like the resource is there. Just use it. You know, You'd be, if you're a um, consultant or your broker really has um, that as a service, you should be utilizing. And not all of them do have that offer of increased um, connectivity through communication campaigns. Um, but those that do already have tracks that they've built that will just plug in with some adjustments and the right verbiage and language to fit your mission. Sure. And even if you have an internal champion that's at least paying attention to these things, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the, give it to if you a start champion. a job and they give you, they slide the folder across the desk, it's like, that's great, but it's almost drinking from a fire hose, right? It's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, uh, college planning doesn't, it's not relevant to me. I don't have children. And then fast forward three years, like, well, I've got a child. I have health concern. I've got to start figuring this out. Or, you know, right. the HSA might not make sense on day one, but somewhere along my journey, there needs Very to be this true. sort of constant reinforcement of we have this available for you, and uh, depending on where you're at in your in your journey, we have tools we're here. to help exactly. you. Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, and and I think that the businesses you know can take a another a higher level of responsibility if when we recognize that it also is sort of missing an importance in society as well. So as a society, we're not embracing and really communicating the value and the importance of, of you know, preventative care and mental health and, and those things. And so when you go into the workplace, 
you know, the employees, even if you hand them the the book, they're they're not even going to necessarily look at it, or they'll look at it and they'll 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 you know f you know pass right on because it's not no one's told them that that's a priority. They've been told that okay, now get to work, or you know, or whatever, you know, or don't take don't take time off, or don't mm -hmm. you know use these benefits because you know produce produce produce. So, you know, Brandy, so I think that kind of leads us into, you know, what are sort of, what are some of the, the impacts of a positive culture versus the, you know, what happens when, you know, there's a, a dysfunction, you know, kind of at the root or, or uh, um, you know, in for, or producing or shaping your culture? So uh, the list is long, yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll just give you a couple of things, a couple of statistics, and then some um, just some general things that you'll see um, in a functioning environment versus one that's not functioning as well. So when we talk about the biggest impacts of a positive, productive company culture, what we're talking about is retention and engagement. And we hear those words a lot. They're almost like buzzwords, but there's there's a cost that goes along with that. There's a dollar sign, there's a time investment, there's all of those things. So according to Gallup, disengaged employees cost companies between 450 and 550 billion dollars annually. Billion with a B. That's incredible. So disengaged employees, kind of the, the way that I think about the difference between an engaged employee and a, and a disengaged employee, it's about discretionary energy. So think about how you feel when you get up in the morning to go to work. Are you thinking right away, okay, <coughs> oh, I'm not feeling so hot. I don't know if I can make it into the office today. Or are you thinking, all right, I'm going to go into the office and I'm going to scroll on my Instagram feed or Facebook, just clock in, clock out, do the bare minimum. Or are you jumping out of bed. I can't wait to get, get to the office. I'm going to high five my cube mate and I'm going to get to work and I'm going to invest my creativity, my discretionary energy, not only into doing the check the box kind of work, but also into how do we make this better? How do we make things more efficient? What are some new products that we can tap into? Constantly looking at how do I do a better job? How do I help the company be successful? It's sort of the difference between engaged and disengaged. So that it's an experience. <laughs> it's Easy an expense. I know, right? Um, and it can also, in terms of retention, and the numbers are all over the board on this, but it can cost up to 33% of a person's salary to replace that person. So you're talking about not just, okay, this person's not here, they're not producing, there's a gap. You're talking about how much does it take to just find people to interview, particularly in this market. And then... It takes, um, depending on the nature of the position, six to 12 months for a person to ramp up once they've even started. So you're at that low level of productivity up to a year. Also, when you've got those two things happening, people are not at their best. They're not creative. They're not collaborating. It's, it, I think of Manslow's hierarchy of needs. So when you're at that very base, when you don't feel safe, when you don't feel comfortable in your work environment, when you're operating from a place of dysfunction, of course you're not going to be able to be creative. You're in self-preservation mode. So you're not bringing your best self. You're not able to collaborate. Um, so those are those are some of the things that you're seeing. Those are the biggest differences. And you know it all comes down to the competitive advantage for any company is their people. No question. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, you know, that's, you know, a lot of the, the benefits. But as far as the dysfunction side, mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, maybe in that same Gallup poll, maybe in a different one, you know, they certainly do a few of them, is they also talk about that there's a like a third of employees that are actually uh, working against you. Yes. So not, not you know, you got engaged, you've got neutral, and you've got the people that are working, yep. actually actively working against you. Yes. So um, that sounds like dysfunction. Yes. Do you have any thoughts on that? So, so you have three buckets, as you've indicated. So you've got your engaged, you've got your disengaged, and you have your actively disengaged. Now, your, your disengaged are the ones who are like I described, right? They're punching the clock. I'm here at eight. I'm leaving at nine. I'm just going to keep my head down. They're called, it's like the silent majority, that middle. You're actively disengaged. Those are the people who are unhappy and they want to recruit others. They're, they are actively working against you. They're the ones who are hosting the meeting after the meeting. They're the ones who are, you know, smiling and nodding and then going from cube to cube or office to office and saying, 
Can you believe what Chris just said? That's ridiculous. I can't believe how they treat people here. And by the way, have you seen our benefits package? That's craziness. Absolutely. And, and it is almost a third of the workforce. So again, there's a cost associated with that. Um, and it's much bigger than a dollar sign, right? So somebody who's in that um, disengaged bucket can very easily be swayed into actively disengaged. And in your experience, I understand this is broad stroking generalization, but do you think people, uh, organizational leaders think they're doing it right? And then they just realize that somewhere along the way, boy, we're falling short. Or do you think people just recognize immediately like, boy, we are falling behind. We have disengaged people. We need help. I think it varies. Um, I think that the intentions are mostly good, right? We want to do a good job. We want to make sure people are happy. We want people to be engaged for all of the obvious reasons. Um, so we put these things in place, and then we took our hands off the wheel. And we're just letting it kind of pilot itself. But when you talk about culture and, and behaviors that are accepted or not accepted, that's that's something to be um, to be watched out for regularly. You know, if you're allowing your um, middle managers to treat some employees one way and some employees another way, you're going to have a culture issue at some point. Um, if you let Sarah come into work at 8.15, but Jeremy, you have to be there at 7.55, it's a small thing, but those are the things that can unravel a lot of the culture work, even in the best intention. So that's what I see a lot of is, we started off on this great path somewhere along the lines. Maybe it's um, some, some people left, some new people came in. We, have, we don't have programs in place to kind of touch base with each other. That can happen. So it's usually we did a good job. We stepped back thinking that it will self-sustain, and it doesn't. Right, because culture is not just the values written on the wall to your high-five yes. paradigm there that it's... It's actually it's every interaction, every decision, yeah. everything you do Absolutely. every day is your culture. It's rarely, I have found in working with companies, the values written on the wall, one golden gem, or, you know, and our cultures at Love and Touche are not written on the wall, but they are part of how we do things around here. And um, the honesty, the integrity, the um, innovation and entrepreneurial, <clears throat> excuse me, thought, thought process, all of that is just what's exampled coming down. And so in my experience, if you don't have leaders who go find out what their aha moment needs to be growing forward, um, it, if it doesn't come from the top, it's gonna struggle at the very best outcome. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah, absolutely. Leadership is critical. Yeah. Yeah, I find that, um, and I'd like to hear what your experiences are with this, that you know, even if you've taken the time to define your values, there's another step to that because you know, you know, uh, your value is, is a word, right? But then how do you make that, what does that mean for us? And so often you have to take it the next level, which is you know, what are the behaviors in this organization that define what that mm -hmm. value is yeah. for us? So I have a really great example of that, Sarah. Um, I was working with a client recently, and they have three very well-defined, very clear values. And they had a big campaign when they rolled it out. It's everywhere. They even had a competition with employees, like, okay, who can make the best video of showing these values in action? So they did a lot of really great work on the front end. But where things fell down a little bit is in exactly what you were describing. There was no clear guidance, there was no training, there was no reinforcement or affirmation about, okay, so we're saying that do the right thing is a value. All right, so if I'm an executive, what is the right thing? Do yeah. the right thing means one thing. <laughs> if I'm on the front lines and I'm taking calls, do the right thing means something completely different to me. So that was something that they recognized as a, as a gap for them and they, actually built a, a pretty intensive training around that to clearly define by role what that looks like. Have you come across that, Chris, in the stuff that you do as well? Just um, It probably isn't as pronounced on the benefit side, but it will if you have a hierarchy within the human resources and or if you have dissonance between the HR, head HR person, and the CFO, 
HR is generally all about the people, and the CFO is, you can't spend that much, right? And so if there's dissonance between those two job responsibilities, it's very hard to do the right thing for the employee because there's no clear definition between those two roles. They have to be willing to work together. So how have you helped companies bridge that gap? Um, education. We do um, several different presentations a month um, in our learning academy. So we bring exposure to different ways of doing things. Um, some of it has to do with corporate thought process. Some, of course, has to do with insurance. Some of it has to do with safety because we have all different kinds of um, insurances that we serve clients about. Um, we've also helped do some roundtables. Bring I run a roundtable every other month where I bring the top HR different companies together to talk about common issues and common desires and how do you get those accomplished and often you might talk about how do you take this message of what you know needs to happen for employees, how do you take that to a higher um, position in the company have you have the right discussion. I'm just curious and if you can't think of it you know I, I totally get it but uh, any you know real gems that have come out of those roundtables uh, you know maybe with how do you talk to your CEO or you know things that have been really successful that, that you know HR professionals or executives have used I, I would say no certainly it's just I think it's just because the dynamics are different within each company. Maybe you so have quite a know-it-all boss. That's a different approach than one who just completely doesn't get it and doesn't have time to get it. Um, or who just has a conflict in the what they see and how they think things should be you know, done. So there may be just a philosophical difference between. I wish there was a magic thing that you could do. Um, but so it, it's more it, just the interpersonal, you know, is. so it's almost like, uh, well, it's that peer-to-peer -peer counseling sort of mm -hmm. things that those roundtables mm -hmm. bring out. And so it isn't necessarily a gem, but it is, it's better than a gem because it's, it's you know, how do, how do I help you today exactly. right now? It's, it is a lot, um, sometimes your relationship with those above you has a lot to do with your confidence in what you're saying and where the research is coming, depending on how fact-oriented the person you're talking to is. And in these roundtables, they learn how to have those conversations. What are examples? What have you been through? You know, what did you have to get together first? What did you have to pull together? Well, my boss is like this. And so it's a lot more about the collaboration and the confidence that that builds. Yeah, who knew your insurance broker would help boost your confidence? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the good ones do, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, I'm curious. Um, I, I assume that there are some people who view employee benefits as sort of, I just I have to have it because the market says I have to and, and my competitors will have it and therefore I won't get the talent that I want. And then there are others who view it as a true opportunity to differentiate themselves and, and really make, I would imagine, a connection to their culture and how we care for people. Do you, do you agree that those are sort of the, the spectrum? And then yes. do you, when you're servicing these clients, do you actually see a, a performance delta between those two? Is it, when we talk about disengaged employees, I would just say, is it a motivating factor? It shows up as energy within the company. Okay. So um, I'm gonna take on one end of the spectrum, a company that, um, and it doesn't matter about the size, um, it matters more about how they view this is a widget or not a widget, meaning your employee benefit program. Many companies still look at this as the widget. I got it to your example. I have to have this. It needs to be medical, dental, vision, and probably need to throw in an EAP, an employee assistance program, and maybe some worksite benefits like cancer and accident and all those. And they think of that as being a robust program. With no education, that's a widget. Okay, so if the next step to make it better would be, what's your communication campaign gonna be like? How are you gonna help them understand that what they have in these tools helps their health? That when they have um, questions about their health, where do you go? How do you use your benefit program? There's tons of tools inside to help you understand what's going on in your, in your family as far as health goes, in your own body, and um, what are the helplines, what are the um, virtual assistants, you know, doctors and nurses. Um, all the way up to the top of the spectrum where you might buy um, something that costs about a dollar or so employee per month that is actually a service, an 800 number that will explain everything they want to know. 
Um, or do you have something that will text the employees? You can actually, there are other vendors that will send texts out according to whatever campaign you and your consultant, your broker put together that will help them on health or will help them um, just little bite-sized pieces of information on how their benefits work. There's some really cool industry-forward ways that you can make your employees connect to you through teaching them and making it fun. That so, makes sense. Yeah, you're kind of creating the picture. I mean, you we, uh, you know, we, you've talked about that. You know, really, what the service that you provide is that you help you know, these executives strategize their mm -hmm. employee benefits. And so what, what does that mean? Well, it means, uh, I think it goes back a little bit to the Zappos example. So they said, we want, what, what that means for us is that we want our employees not to worry about their health. So that's the first thing that anyone, you know, would do potentially, uh, you would guide them to do or that. Or worry is, about how yeah, to access. Yeah, yeah, what, but what is it? What, what is it that you want to create for your employees through a benefits program. And then you can say, all right, now that we know what that is, what are all of the pieces or tools or you know, how do we make it happen? What's our marketing? What's our strategy? What's our whatever? But to not have you know, that widget that you plug in, but to you know, achieve whatever that strategy is, that mission is that you want to create for your employees through a benefits program. Right, and I would say to, um, to what you just said, very few companies think like that or know that they can think like that. No. And I wanted to, comp you had the rest of your question, what's it show up like, Jeremy, in the workplace? Yeah, yeah, does it manifest in something you can see? When you think that the person who's giving you your paycheck, the company that's giving you your paycheck every week, every month, however it works for you, cares about you, the energy, the commitment, the integrity level, I believe, personally, the integrity level is going to rise. Um, the do the right thing. Teamwork probably is going to be impacted to one extent or another. Leaders will might lead better because they know that the company has that. It becomes just part of the boss does it. It, mm -hmm. it fits in that category. And, you, and you're sourcing from a different why. So if the why is I want to be able to match what everybody else has, that's a different why than the example of... I want people not to worry about their health because okay. you'll approach that question differently. I know an organization that uh, gave Fitbits to everybody and they helped everybody load on meditation apps mm -hmm. on their phones and the sleep tracking and the, the food journaling so that I really want you to be healthy and fully engaged when you're here. So right. rather than me give you a benefit for when you're sick, you can go become healthy. No, I really want you not to worry about health. And when I'm asking and answering that question, you approach it differently and there's a great opportunity for innovation. There's another real tiny, um, it's almost like an innuendo, if it's in that category. Imagine that you're um, rolling out a new um, culture with Brandy and her team. And one of those values that you're now putting on the wall is integrity. I'm just going to pick on that one for a second. But when you roll out your benefit program, you don't tell anybody anything. You don't mm -hmm. teach them how the, why the cost is going up. You don't um, talk to them about the fact maybe your, um, your insurance plan is self-funded, and so you are the um, insurance company up to a certain dollar amount on each person. Um, and you're not transparent in any way with the employees. It's still the big bad insurance company. It's still... a you know, kind of a black box, that is going to fly in the face of this integrity that you're trying to roll out. And so it can totally work against what you're trying to say, because even though there's nobody pointing to the benefits, you feel it. You feel like the lack of transparency and the lack of genuineness. Yeah. Well said. So we've talked about how important culture is. And I think, you know, for me, it's definitely, you know, hitting home. And, you know, I probably was a little bit of a believer anyway. But, uh, Brandy, what is the first step that a company can take if they want to make a cultural change? I think the first step is to have a serious conversation around values. And I think what happens a lot of times is values conversations look like this. C-suite gets in a room. And for retreat over weekend, consultant comes in, they, they use a lot of really great language and, and flowery words, and I think this is going to be great, and everyone's going to love it, and they do this big piece around rolling it out, and it goes on the walls, and it goes in the all the collateral and the website, and t completely miss the piece about, is this who we are really? 
and then miss the piece about how do we train people on this? How do we help make sure that there's a behavioral piece that aligns with this? But oh look, our conference room wall looks nice. So that has to be an honest conversation, not just with the C-suite. That has to be a conversation where um, leadership hears from all levels of the organization. Because what you want to start with is where are we now versus where do we want to go? And what needs to change? And what are those values really that we're striving for? And then what are the behaviors? And then how do we implement this into who we're hiring, what our benefits look like, how our teams are from all the way around. Um, I keep going in around in a circle because that's what the model is. But that's where you have to start. That's the most important piece is those values. And everything really should align to that. You should be able to make any decision and say, we're making it because this is our value, this supports our value. Yeah, and I like, I think you used an example earlier as well, where you look at the values and then uh, a company, you know, these were the values, and then they really looked at every single department and area and said, you know, not just what are the behaviors at a company level, but what are the behaviors at, you know, for that particular team. And that's something that, you know, that we promote, you know, through my company as well as it from safety. So it's like if we have a company that, you know, they've got their values stated and, you know, hopefully they're, you know, actually a part of the culture, but then we can say, okay, what does that mean for it from a safety perspective? So how do we translate the company values into what that means for safety values and how does that influence their behavior to, uh, you know, do their work more safely? Absolutely. So, Chris, what kind of advice would you give to a company that was uh, thinking of, of making a culture shift in their workplace? So, you know, that's a focus for you with benefits. What advice would you give somebody? Um, I would say to look for things that you don't necessarily think. Um, our culture, you know, you like I was explaining before, it benefits is a little bit of a widget. There are um, several different things that are part of your culture. To Brandy's um, examples, I would also get someone involved who can give you an outside opinion, um, tell you, you know, maybe even just do a quick assessment on what your uh, culture really is. You've got to know where you're starting to know where you're going. Um, I, I read a slogan one time that said, it's really hard to read your own label from inside the jar. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that really resonated for me. Yeah, that's a really good example. And then I would say, look at all of the things that touch your employees. So touch them on an everyday basis, but also touch them on the top down from senior leadership. What are the messages and the silent, look for the silent messages that are going throughout your company and how well do they point at what the culture is you're trying to achieve. So that really that self-assessment, you know, that honest, honest look and, and I suppose even one step before that is the willingness to take an honest look mm -hmm. uh, is, is where, you, where you start. Mm -hmm. So and Brandy, you're, uh, you're ready to help with that, aren't you? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in kind of you know turning things a little bit to the conscious capitalism, you know what are, what are some of your favorite you know a question to both of you examples of, of good business? Um, that you've you know seen throughout uh, you know your your journeys or interactions and encounters with as, and let's keep it you know in southern Arizona. And it doesn't have to be the name of an organization, just things you've seen reflected within organizations that you think is really powerful. I, I worked with an organization not too long ago. In fact, they're um, they're an ongoing client, and they went through some really really tough stuff. They they went through a merger and acquisition. And um, which is hard onto itself. And then they had some pretty significant leadership struggles. And one of the things that I think they did so well, and this is an organization that is community facing. So one of the things that they did so well, their leadership was extraordinarily transparent with everyone within the, within the, um, with our, the organization and let them know where things were at, solicited insights from them, reassured them it's gonna be okay. I know the change is scary. We're going to come out on the other side of this stronger. And then made sure that they were communicating effectively with the community as well. We're still here for, me, for you. We're going through some growing pains. We're here to help you. We're your support. And, and just that transparency and that proactive ongoing communication made such a difference. Because what happens when we don't have 
information. We make stuff up. That's right. And it's never good. (laughs) Right. So that really helped them kind of get over that hump a lot faster, a lot smoother. They retained most of their staff. They they maintained their really good reputation in the community. So they, they handled that really, really well. I have an example too that, um, so I had a client, uh, family owned firm, mostly blue collar um, employees, and that client decided to um, self fund their medical plan. And they were so innovative at the time, this was over uh, like 10 years ago when it wasn't as common as it is now. And um, he gave so much respect, is the way I'd like to phrase it, to his employees, you know gather around in the warehouses and have like a fireside chat almost. Here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Here's what I, as your CEO, hope to achieve financially by doing it. This is what it means for you. Um, This is how costs work, that complete transparency that Brandy was talking about. And I was nervous about the whole thing because it was completely different and not something that that industry did very often in that kind of transparency. And it was a huge success throughout the whole company. And what it bought was loyalty. They really respected their CEO for teaching them again and showing them and telling them the impact to the company of doing this so that they could understand the impact eventually as it trickles down to either 401k contributions and matches, um, or just their salaries. The thing that I really like about both those examples is um, it also makes it okay to be human in business. And so when you think a little, you talked a little bit about mm-hmm. societal, you know, messaging and, and there's so much of, you know, that, that in my view that we need to be, you know, superhuman or we need to be machines, you know? And so, you know, with, you know, with your example, Brandy and, and, and you as well, Chris, it was, you know, they were like that full transparency is that, you know, Hey, we recognize that we're in, we're this organization and we have something that we're, you know, we're trying to bring into the world, but really we're, we're a bunch of human beings and we make mistakes, we fall down, we get back up, you know, we, we learn together and and uh, I guess really it's that vulnerability uh, that we can we can bring into the workplace. And so, uh, again, not only I, I fully, you know, believe that that makes for a better organization, but it's also the way that, you know, business can have an influence on society and societal messaging that we can, you know, take back into our our homes and, you know, teach to our children. And it just goes and goes and goes from there. <laughs> so those are, are, I think, both really great examples. So... Um, how about success? How do you go about measuring your success and your endeavors? It's got to be tough when you're we're doing this nebulous thing of culture and benefits. Um, it shows up in the way of employee engagement. If you're using those extra vendors and those extra tools, you can start using having metrics come back on how employees are responding to and accessing the tools. And what kind of metrics, for example? Um, so if you roll out something that's more of a... Um, the ability to contact a doctor on your phone or, or I don't want to mention vendor names specifically, but um, they keep track of how many calls come in oh, okay. um, linked to your organization. If you get that um, cool vendor that tells them everything from soup to nuts on finding a doctor, on f- figuring out what you need for care, on what is this, I'm going to have this kind of procedure, what does that even mean? So if you go that far, they also keep records of how many. Um, HIPAA will keep them from saying who in both situations, but um, they will keep records and they'll help you understand. And then um, as your broker works with you to move forward, they should be pulling in those metrics to help you chart more courses. Um, If you start talking like, for instance, preventative campaigns, you should be able to access data if your account's large enough to says how many people went, how many people are actually going for their preventive screens, et cetera. I love that. So your, you know, success for you ultimately becomes in healthier people because they're, they're engaging in, uh, in they're educated about their own health and being able to, you know, um, you know, advocate for themselves, at least be knowledgeable and then also engaging in preventative programs. So success for you is, is healthier people. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) So for us, one of the first things we do with our clients is we ask them, what are we solving for? What are right. your objectives? 
what are we measuring? Um, so with a lot of our projects, it comes down to retention. So we'll measure year over year retention rates for particular positions. Um, one client recently said, well, we need to promote X percentage of our middle managers to the next level of leadership. And then we also need to be able to internally fill that with the people who are on the front lines. And so we measured that. So a lot of what we're looking at comes from, from, from those conversations. And a lot of times too, we'll do self-assessments depending on the kind of work that we're doing. So we, we built a, a competency model recently for a client and we had everyone in a particular position complete a self-assessment based on this competency model. Then they went through a six month program and they took the assessment again. So we were able to look before and after, where have you developed? What skills have you developed? Are you ready to now move into that next level in the organization? And so are you interacting directly with some of these employees in a, an example like that? Absolutely. And, yeah. And so then you would be able to, uh, I mean, of course, this is, uh, you know, not quantifiable, but, uh, uh, but uh, you know, you, you met with them before and you met with them after. Right. So six months of development and, and you know, how would you say that they, you know, changed as, you know, just a person? Right. So a lot of what we see is around confidence. And I, I know Chris mentioned this earlier, and that's a lot of what we hear from people who go through some of our programs is I feel more confident in my role or I feel more confident with that degree of vulnerability, asking questions. A lot of our programs include opportunities to build business cases. So I feel more comfortable now talking to that next level of leadership. So that's, that's a lot of confidence. So maybe it's not even just developing new skills, but it's uh, making people feel more comfortable and utilizing the skills that they didn't know they had. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do a lot of work around teams, and a lot of that stems from, okay, so you're your best self. You have this set of skills and talents that you can continue to grow and develop because that's where your strengths are. But that's not the same set of skills and strengths that everyone else on your team has. So part of being a highly productive, highly performing team is knowing what those skills and strengths are and being able to leverage them appropriately. Yeah, again, so that humanity thing where I don't have to be everything to everybody at all times and I am comfortable asking for help um, or even just comfortable saying, this is your strong point. You know, I'm going to step back here. That's right. Cool. That's awesome. Just curious. Hopefully I don't take us down a hole. It takes too much time. Um, you had mentioned one of the high fives is employee experience. Yes. Is that the right yep. tag? So are there any trends or really cool things that you've seen for uh, that are maybe a simple implementation for people? You know, foosball tables and catered lunches and all that stuff was really hip for a while there. Is there any trends right now that people should be paying attention to that are really sticky and making an impact within organizations? So I would say with the foosball table and things like that, the cool coffee bar, all that stuff is nice, but it wears off, right? It doesn't have any lasting impact. People are going to be like, yeah, 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 that was great on Tuesday. It's Friday. I'm still miserable. <laughs> um, the, the food, surprisingly, um, I've done a lot of work around exit interviews, and I will hear people say in exit interviews, well, I don't understand why this team gets a catered lunch every Friday and my team doesn't. Mm. So I, that's still something, but I think it's important to look at the bigger picture. Again, who are we? What do we want to accomplish? And then building things around that. What reflects that? And I would also say things that are not traditional. So Chris talked a lot about benefits. It doesn't have to be the widget thing, right? Things that are that are um, just not traditional. So picking on Zappos again, um, Tony Shea gave his employees the choice. They were pulling together what they wanted their benefits to look like. And he said, okay, I can either build you guys a dog park or you, we can have an, an in-house daycare center. You guys decide. And they chose a dog park. Probably reflective of <laughs> who their employees are. But my point is that it's outside of the box. It's not, it's not a traditional thing. And I think it's got to reflect. It's a balance, right? It reflects who the company is, but also what do we want to offer? What do we want to be for our employees? So what was uh, really salient for me on that is a the transparency of we can't do everything right and so to and then to in, include people in that process yes. of we're here to serve you right how can we 
better your environment here. Yep. Those seem like two good key takeaways. Absolutely. You have any thoughts on that, Chris? I like the dog park. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Are you listening, Love and Touche? <laughs> I'm sure they will be. There's a suggestion box somewhere, right? Um, I think to be tuned in to what your employees are valuing. I, I uh, think surveys are um, underutilized and um, created much too stereotypically. And to get creative with employee surveys with the right questions where different answers kind of point to yet more information, um, those are the things that, that I try and do. Love if, it. If I could add one thing to the survey Sorry, piece. Sorry, time's up. Just kidding. Don't okay. <laughs> um, I think it's important if you're, go if you're an employee and you're going to do a survey, you have to be willing to make some of those changes. So I've seen I've mm -hmm. seen some backlash from from surveys where companies will think, okay, I have to do this every year. It's a check the box thing, and then the feedback that's provided is not necessarily taken into consideration. And not to say that things are not always reasonable, but I think that that that's definitely something that employees I, feel. I do know that happens. I think when you do employee benefit surveys, just like if you let the employees know we're trying to get a pulse on what's important to you, we um, want to be able to look at everybody in the corporation and see if we can find some common ground and you can kind of precursor your way out of the backlash. Right. But as with anything else, you've got to tell them what's going to happen. And right? I think and you can't do everything, but you have to at least acknowledge that you heard them. Right. So we, we heard what you said, uh, and we also heard all of these other things, and this is what we've decided, and this is why. You know, you know, please join us. So I think we are actually are about out of time now. So I want to, you know, thank you both for being here. Chris, please go out there and do as much as you can to change the way people look at benefits and, and get them to, you know, get to that strategic level and say, what do we want for our employees? And then, you know, Brandy, if you just can, you know, keep doing what you're doing and helping people understand how values are really the basic, the, the basis for culture and that we have to attach those, you know, behaviors to them and with those competencies model so thank you both so much for being here and more than that thank you for the things that you're doing and you know and transforming workplaces in southern arizona you're here thank you so much thanks for having thank us thank you